Hi everyone, Meredith and Lale here. This week's episode was recorded before the horrific mass shooting by a white gunman in Atlanta on Tuesday, March 16th, which killed eight people, six of whom were women of Asian descent. Between 2019 and 2020, hate crimes targeting Asian Americans have increased by 150% in the US, a large number of which have been reported by women. We encourage all of our listeners to spend time reading about the ongoing impact of racism on the Asian American and Pacific Islander community. And if you can, donate to any number of the AAPI organizations working to end this violence and provide support for their communities. We'll leave links to these resources in the show notes. Systematic racism permeates all industries, travel included. Back in June, we passed the mic over to Avita Robinson, Jessica Nabongo, and Wembley Sewell for a discussion on how the industry as a whole can and must step up for black travelers. Now, nine months later, Avita, founder of the Nomadness Travel Tribe and Audacity Fest, and Jessica, the first black woman to visit every country in the world, are taking over the podcast once again. This time, they're joined by Martinique Lewis, founder of the Black Travel Alliance and a Connie Nast Traveler Advisory Board member, to take a look at what actionable change has taken place across the industry since then and what work still needs to be done. We'll let Avita take it from here. All right, so it's an absolute pleasure to have both Jessica Nabongo and Martinique Lewis here. Um, it's always lovely to see your faces and most importantly to hear your voices. Everybody on this conversation today has been impactful when it comes to the plight um, and also the celebration of the Black Traveler, of the movement, and, and us showing up in this space, right? So to kick things off with this discussion, I really just kind of want to look from a personal and professional stance, what is the last 12 months look like for everybody? And I'll answer this too, but I'm interested because we're in a unique space now, right? When we first had this conversation, you know, Jessica, uh, you, Wembley, and myself, it was at the top of COVID, it was right after George Floyd, and now we are months and months after that, and we kind of can see who was about it and who wasn't. <laughs> so from a personal and professional standpoint, what has the last 12 months looked like for you? Jessica, I'm gonna start with you on this one. I mean, you know, things have been crazy, but also I think things have been really great. Um, personally, I've enjoyed the slowdown. Um, things for my business were really tough in the beginning, the, towards the end of the year, things got much, much better. Um, I'm working on my book now, so I got a book deal towards the end of the year. So personally, things have been going really great. And I think professionally, just, um, you know, looking at the travel industry, we've seen a lot of change. You know, I think in June, we saw a lot of black squares and not much after that. And I think we'll dig into the specifics of that soon. Uh, but there have been some travel publications, as well as some actors in the airline industry that I think have done a really good job, as well as hotels, um, the Four Seasons. And again, we'll get into the specifics of that. But I think, you know, things such as the Black Travel Alliance that have popped up, which I'm sure Martinique will speak on. Um, I think there has been a lot of really positive change, though we still have a very long way to go in this industry. Absolutely. And Marty, what is your last 12 months, personally, professionally, what does it look like? Definitely in the past 12 months, it has been the craziest, most beautiful, most just amazing ride for me. Um, I had no idea 2020 would be the best year of my life. 
And it has been. Yeah, it has been. It really has been. I feel like everything that I've been wanting to manifest, everything that's been on vision boards, like it all came together in 2020. And it definitely was by surprise. 2020 made so many, and I would say black creators, it pushed us into a space of uncomfortableness because people were finally ready to work with us, even though we've been wanting to work with them, right? So now you got a million people emailing you, everybody and their mama calling you, you know, everybody wants you on their panel. And it was exhausting, right? But it's a good problem to have until you go to burnout, right? And it's like, yes, we are burnt out. You know why? Because I'm tired of teaching you about me when you could just read, right? Or I'm tired of explaining to you how exhausting it is for me to have to explain this to you. But also it was beautiful because it was like, you're starting to see people who look like you in all of these places. And it's like all those people who you've been trying to talk to for the past two to three years, the people who said no before, the people who have shut doors in your face, the people who wanted you to do stuff for free, they can't do that anymore, right? It helped us basically hold these people to a standard because it's like, nope, now I know my worth, right? It helped a lot of people find their worth, but now I know my worth even more now because you will pay to have me speak. You will pay for it to have my opinion. You will pay to pick my brain, whereas before I didn't really know how to charge you that necessarily, but now I saw the value in myself because of the value you saw from me just from one thing happening. And at the beginning of COVID, none of us felt that way. At the beginning of COVID, we're like, woo! Now I'm going to get to really use this apartment that I pay for every month. You know what I mean? I'm going to get to learn these four walls because I'm not traveling. But it just excelled people into other things. And, and I was one of those people. Additionally, it made me sit down, get way more organized and finish projects, which for me was the green book. I've been working on that for two years, but I was lazy, right? I was so lazy. I didn't want to finish it. I wasn't motivated. And during COVID, you had no choice, right? But to make something happen. So for me, it made me make things happen. Um, and so, yeah, I'm grateful for 2020. I know for a lot of people, it, it was a bad year for them. But for me, it was literally, like I said, the best year of my life. So, so many great things came out of 2020, despite the fact that we were bound to our own homes. I just, can I jump in really quickly on that? Um, it's funny because I too feel that it was the best year of my life. And I've spoken to a lot of people who feel that way. And so many people have guilt around it. And a lot of people don't publicly say it. And I think, you know, let's just take this moment to allow the people listening to this to go ahead and celebrate their wins from 2020, even though it was such a tough year globally for everybody. For those of you who had wins, it's okay to celebrate your wins. I want us, you know, we had a lot of mental health issues in 2020. I know I struggled for sure in the beginning. And so much of that, part of those mental health issues are based around guilt. So no matter who you are listening to this, remove that guilt and celebrate your wins from 2020. I love that. I think that's so important. I would say for myself, when I think of 2020, two words pop up for me. Pivot and pride. Pivot because we had to, you know? And so I think being in the space of CEO um, in an industry where we were hit, you know, we're still ushering out refunds, right? I'm not gonna act like that isn't a part of the situation. It very much is. But the art and the finesse and the aggressiveness of the pivot that we made, turning Audacity Fest, our festival for travelers of color, and our allies into a digital market. Like we went into lockdown in the US, it was like the second week of March. We executed our first Audacity Digi the last week of May. 
<laughs> like we were on it. And a month before that, we didn't even have a speaker lined up. And Nomadness was able to pivot and be able to create these experiences that did two things, right? It gave us space for our partners to still be relevant in our community, which was integral. And then it also gave us the opportunity to still be able to show up to our community that really vouches for us so much and bring them content that is relevant. It's an extremely interactive event, (laughs) extremely interactive. We were averaging up to 20 people from 20 different countries every time, five to 600 people on average uh, registered for our Audacity Digis. And we were shelling these things out like hotcakes. They were coming out every three months. You know, our next one is on Saturday, May 1st, and that's our last one for this year so that we can breathe and take a break and figure it out from there. Also, the pivot leads to the pride. This was a year that professionally and personally for me, having a sense of pride meant so much. It made me walk away from a detrimental relationship I was in. It made me really look at the business and where we want to go, what we love about Nomadness and what we want to, you know, flex and, you know, an alter, it it allowed us to really take on the BIPOC travel conversation. And I have Mm -hmm. to give shouts out to Sajal Patel, my new operations manager on my team. She is our in-house accountability partner with that to make sure that we are also walking the walk. And one of the things I love the most about Audacity Digi is our Travel Like Me campaign. Having the Asian Allies panel, the Muslim travel panel, you know, the Indigenous Travelers panel. We have a Latinx and Accessibilities panel coming up on May 1st. Like being able to take our our pride and, and the platform that we've been able to create and give that platform over to other, possibly even more marginalized communities. Um, you know, now that we have the eye of the industry and the ear of the industry. And so for me, yes, it's been up and down. I've been living in EKG for real, from a business owner's point of view, from a personal, you know, black woman point of view. However, I am the happiest now that I have been in years. And to your point, Jessica, it's about that win. But for me, it became about having a sense of pride and going after my dreams, you know, while also holding the industry accountable. Um, I want to talk to Marty. I'm going to toss this at you. For those that don't know, talk a little bit about the Black Travel Alliance. Right. So the Black Travel Alliance is an organization started after some travel content creators were just fed up with those black squares that everybody posted on June 2nd. We were like, ah, like these are the same companies that don't answer our emails. Like, how dare you post this black square saying you stand in solidarity with us? When? When? Because we have never seen it. But even more so, to give Black content creators and Black travel professionals a resource to be the best that they can be. So we initially started off just for that pull-up for travel campaign where we wanted to see numbers. We wanted to know how many people of color and how many Black people specifically have you hired at your travel company because you're saying Black Lives Matter by posting that Black Square. So if that's the case, then you should have some diversity on your team. And so from the pull-up for travel campaign, campaign, then it kind of just spiraled. And I tell people all the time, please understand, we did not know we were going to be what we are today because that was not our intention. We had to quickly, again, the word pivot, pivot into something that was like an agency, pivot into things that were like webinars and education online to make sure that Black travelers, Black travel content creators, and Black travel professionals were as equipped as they needed to be in the travel space, in their workplace, so that we could advance, so we could start seeing each other, you know, in C-level positions, so that we can start seeing each other, be able to give these 
campaign so that we can eliminate tokenism so they know like okay for one black people are not a monolith but secondly you know there are black people in the outdoors there are black people who do family travel there are black people who travel over the age of 65 and there's content creators that you can hire you know to bring out you know whatever idea you have for your own brand or company and so we additionally created something called Wavelength, which is just like a speed networking platform that allows brands to, to meet some brand new influencers or content creators that they have never met before to really understand how they can hit some of those goals. So BCA is great. You can find us on BlackTravelAlliance.com to find out more information. I love that. Jessica, from the influencer point of view, what's changed between June of last year and now? What have you observed? I think we're definitely seeing more diverse campaigns within the beauty industry, within the fashion industry. Um, obviously, travel is a little difficult because of limited budgets, because our industry was hit so hard. So I think it's really difficult to see from an influencer standpoint what travel brands are doing. Mm -hmm. um, I will say Four Seasons, you know, I've had extensive conversations with them. They're a brand that I've been working with for several years, and they are, I think they're doing a great job, um, not just externally, but also internally. So I've been working with them and just hearing a lot about what they're doing for their employees within their company, because I think that's really important. It's not just what are these companies doing outward facing to the consumers. It's also how are you treating your employees? Because- yes. How you're talking to the consumer matters. Those people that have to work for you every day kind of matter a little bit more because they need to be happy when they go into work every day. So I think the Four Seasons is doing a great job all around. To your point about like pride and I think also to Martinique's point around um, just asking for what you want. I'm a vocal person anyway, but I think... I'm now more vocal and I say no with the swiftness. And, you know, so there are some panel discussions that I've been on where they thought that I was going to talk for an hour and not be paid because other people had already agreed to do so. And I was like, oh, oh, I don't do that. Godspeed, you know, yeah. I hope it works out. You know, there's other people that you can work with, which I also think is completely fine. And I think the biggest thing is there is so much opportunity out here for all of us. And even though something may not work for me with a brand because of where I am in my career, there are so many other people that can have that opportunity. And I often give them names to say, hey, that's not within my rate range, but here are some people that it may work for. So I think a lot of what I've been doing with brands in the last few years is definitely creating space for more people that look like me and holding them accountable. Because really quickly, one brand reached out for a campaign in the summer and we came to an agreed upon fee. And then they said, oh, would you like to donate your fee to an organization supporting, you know, Black Lives? And I'm like, wait, what? Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't want to donate my rate. Like what you can do is you can match what you're paying me. And then I can tell you what organization I want that money to go to. Because I think it's so unfair for a brand to think that I should take my income to go and support another black organization. Like I do so much in my own personal life, but like what? No, I'm not giving away my rate from you for an organization. But all in all, I think the influencer industry for black creators, if you are on it, 2020 had a lot of money for you and 2021 is looking just the same. 
Marty, I have a question. From the work that you do with Black Travel Alliance and Nomadness, I would think, what would you like to see more or less of in the travel industry, kind of looking at the last 12 months? Um, I would like to see longer brand partnerships, like stop all these one and dones, right? Because we see that as phony, right? So like, yes, you worked with a black travel content creator for the month of February. Congratulations, hand clap for you. What are you doing now in June, July, August, next December, a year from now? And it's like, we want to see the authenticity. Like if you take the same energy you use to to make sure your pride campaigns or disability awareness month are like off the chain. Why does it only have to be for those months? Why can't it be throughout the whole year? You know what I mean? Why can't you think about those travelers all the time? And that's one of the things I keep saying to brands. Don't holler at me if you only want to just do one thing because that's not what I'm here for. Even more so, you want the people who follow me to believe that they should be working with you or that they should give you their dollars. So if they only see me on your feed one time or if they only see you on my feed one time, why would something click to them? And I tell them all the time, build the relationship. I'm always grateful when somebody from a brand hits me up on my birthday, asks me how my niece is doing, you know what I mean? Ask me how my move went. It's like, oh, you really have invested in me, the person, because that's the relationship that you want to build. And so I just want people to be authentic. I want people to really have diversity and inclusion at the top of mind all the time from here on out to the point where we don't have to say it anymore. That's just how you operate your business. Yeah, I would say definitely as the CEO of Nomadness Travel Tribe, it's also it's frustrating on an annual basis to have to repitch the same event. Like, you know what our event calendar looks like. And so to have to repitch, I I am 100 percent. I would love to see more long term um, repeat at the beginning, like signed up as a contract, multi-year contracts um, Mm -hmm. being offered. Jessica, what would you like to see more or less of in the travel industry looking back at the last 12 months? I think for me, like if we look at publications, right, we look at Condé Nast Traveler, we look at Travel and Leisure, the two biggest publications, and I think both have done a lot in terms of bringing in some really amazing Black writers, Black travelers, et cetera, and doing some awesome work. For me, I think the next step is the decolonization of travel locations. So on the one hand, you have who is traveling, but for me, on the other hand, it's where are we traveling to? And I still feel like that's one of the biggest failures within the travel industry that we still are not saying, hey, go visit these African cities or go to these African beaches. It's still very safari heavy. You know, we're still saying, oh, the Middle East is Dubai. Like there's so many other places in the Middle East. And, you know, the Caribbean is only like St. Bart's and Antigua. It's like show more, show everything. You show every European country. um, So why can't we show maybe not every African country, but a significantly higher rate than what we're seeing? I really think for me, that that has to go in tandem with diversifying the people. We have to diversify the locations. Quite frankly, um, I think part of the challenge is the people who work at these publications have limited travel experiences. And it doesn't matter if you're white or black or Asian, if you've only spent time traveling within Europe in Asia, then you simply do not have the knowledge to write an article to say, 
these are the most beautiful beaches in the world. These are the bluest bodies of water in the world, but they're only concentrated in like three continents. But if you've never been to beaches in Africa, then how would you know? But here you are writing the article. So I think for me, that's the next phase in terms of like the decolonization of the travel industry. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And I think also that speaks to me too, working as a contributing editor with Condé Nast now, it's, um, yeah, being a gatekeeper to those stories and to the people that can actually tell those stories. Um, blanket question. Do you think that Blackout Tuesday was effective? Was any of this effective? No. <laughs> no, I think what was really fascinating for me was watching people realize that racism still exists. <laughs> that was really fascinating for me to watch. Like, it was really like, wow, this, wow, 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 wow. People really had no idea. For me, it was just incredibly fascinating. So I think on the one hand, it's like, okay, it's great because now people know racism exists. But then you look at what happened on January 6th, I believe, when our capital was under siege. And I'm not sure that those same people who had an awakening understand that had that been Black, Black people, people, they would still be scrubbing blood off of the yep. steps of the Capitol building. Here yep. we are in March. They'd still be at it. I don't know if they understand that. I went to the March on Washington in August. Stores were being boarded up for the March on Washington. Like, understand that. People went to just peacefully protest and stores were being boarded up. You know, so for me, yeah, the Blackout Tuesday thing, it's like with brands, a lot of brands still don't care. And they've been quite open about the fact that they don't care. They've been very brazen with it. Um, and some Black people still support those brands, which is confusing for me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it had very little impact. I think... I think the impact that it had was, to your point about increasing our pride, I think for me personally, increasing my demands when it comes to interactions with brands um, and really just feeling more comfortable being vocal about race in a way that I wasn't before. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Marty, was it effective? I don't think it was effective for the reason it was supposed to be. I think, like Jessica said, it shed so much light on people being phony because the overcompensation that followed after Blackout Tuesday was so annoying for so many of us. We all went up thousands of followers, right? There was like, it was almost like, remember when Kamala got in the office and they were like, white man, white man, white man, white man, and then black lady? It was like, black girl, black girl, black guy, black, black, black. I'm like, no, you know, we, we noticed that you haven't been doing this, but you thought that this was a way to get, no. And I just was like, Oh my gosh, like who thought this was a good idea? Like who told you you're a team like, yes, post black people for the next 60 days. No, that's not how you write your wrong. That's not how you, that's not how you connect with us. And for me, it was just annoying, right? But even more so annoying when people took their black square down and thought we weren't gonna realize when people posted a black square in June, but by October, November, December, you had nothing in place for even Black History Month, right? When people still didn't change what their team looked like internally. You know what I mean? It just was like, yeah, you guys, it was it was performative, right? It was just performative. 
Now, granted, did some brands take it and do things that are correct? Yes. But that is not over 5%, I can guarantee you. So to those brands, I'm not giving you your flowers yet still because I want to see where you're going to be at three years and five years from now. But I see, I see the moves that you're making. But to those other brands, we did notice. We're still not impressed. And I just want people to know that. I think they thought we were going to be like, this is great. No, we didn't think that. Yeah. We didn't think that. It's like a pacification Yeah, I just want to say that I think it's so important. And I know we don't want more burdens, but here we are. I think it's really (laughs) important and incumbent upon the content creators to hold their partners accountable and to be honest with their partners because a lot of people were open to having their hands out and taking that money, which I totally understand. Uh, But we have to hold our partners accountable. And part of what I've been telling them is, look, we don't need an all black campaign. We're not asking for that. And what we're saying is include us all the time. It doesn't have to be, okay, this is our black thing. No, 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 no. Like literally no one is asking for that. Um, And that's why I love the 15% pledge because we're like, we're approximately 15% of the population. We should be represented in stores. And I think if you think about it beyond everything that is done by everyone, you should think 15%. So I'm not saying 50, not even asking you for that. Just 15%. And I think that's the way that brands have to try to move forward. Just consider thinking everything we do, we need to think 15% for Black people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Extending the conversation, what voices do you guys think are still missing? Do you ladies think are still missing in the travel industry right now? Um, We're talking about Black travelers, but who else do you think still, uh, still looking for a seat at the table? (laughs) to say Muslim travelers, blind travelers, um, definitely. I was on a press trip with a blind girl in England and they took us on a graffiti tour where Banksy's is all over the place. You take us on a graffiti tour with somebody who is visually impaired and the guide is saying, so if you look to your right, you'll see this Banksy painting that, but what is she looking at? You didn't even think to explain it, but you wanted to write a blog post about it? How does that work? And not only that, then you take us to a graffiti class. And the the issue with the graffiti class was, I told you that she was visually impaired and you still decided to do everything as if she could see you. So then when I stand her up, fix her legs and her arms so that I can say, this is the movement that he's making. You're looking at me like I'm crazy, but I'm like, she's taking this class too. And you didn't even think of how you can appeal to somebody who cannot see you. And it's something that they constantly go through as the blind community, as the visually impaired community, right? You know, normally if you're walking across the street, there's beeps that let them know that goes. Or when you go to Japan, like when we went, Evie, there's there's the grooves in the actual um in the actual ground that lets them know like where their stick is guiding. And these are forward thinking cities, but have you really thought about how your destination is set up to appeal to somebody who's visually impaired or who who has a mobility issue? And for me, that's the biggest one. Even down to autism, right? How is your destination set up for autism, right? It just is, it's it's so crazy that people just aren't thinking. And at the end of the day, this is what our kids are. This is what our grandparents are. You know what I mean? This is what our brothers and sisters are. So how do you create spaces that aren't even effective for your own family members? 
It doesn't make sense. I have cousins who are autistic. I have a blind grandmother. How can I take them anywhere with me? If that's in my family, then I know it's in your family. It's just the fact that we don't think about that. So definitely blind, Muslim to 150%. You know, everybody wants to cater to gluten-free and, and, and vegans, but you don't have a halal menu? You don't have no martinis? How does yeah. that work? And they spend more than all of us. Yeah. 220 billion? What is wrong with you people? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, I just don't understand. How are you missing this point? Especially in the places that you know Muslims are traveling to. They got the they have the bread. They have yeah. the money to spend. And you're just like, yeah, we don't want it. How? How? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Jessica. Yeah, to your point about Muslim travelers, I'm doing a show with women who travel, and my guest on Saturday was Rasha Youssef, who's a Bahraini um, photographer. I think they need so much more visibility, which is why I wanted, you know, like I just, even before I was like, I want to interview a hijabi traveler. And so, um, you know, so we did some research and we found a bunch. And I think, yeah, they definitely need more. I think the biggest thing is just, you know, for people who work for these brands who I hope are listening, take a little notebook out with you if you leave your home and just observe the world and write down the differences you see in people because yep. everyone wants to be represented. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? So what's missing? Everyone is missing. You yeah, know, yeah. I think we don't do enough for plus size travelers. America, come on, because isn't 60% of our population overweight? How dare you? How dare you not include them in advertisement? When, yep. to Martinique's point, probably 60% of your family is overweight. So how dare you look at your cousin and think they're not worthy of being yeah. in a marketing campaign? You know, I think um, accessibility is so important. I follow Curb Free Corey. I love following him. I've learned so much from following him about the limitations. And I love that he's so vocal about accessibility issues. And, and I love that brands are working with him now to show how they are being more accessible. So I think everyone is missing. So yeah. for brands, literally take a notebook outside and when you go everywhere, just write down an observation physically about people, what they look like and say, hmm, when was the last time someone that looked like this human being was in anything we did? Because everyone is normal and everyone deserves to be in a marketing campaign. Absolutely. I love that. Um, my addition to what they have said is going to be indigenous travelers. Um, if you were at Audacity Digi 4 and that conversation that was a panel that ended up turning into a one-on-one -on -one with myself and Havani, indigenous Hawaiian singer, amazing. It is the only panel thus far that has brought me and people watching to tears we put it up on our social media platforms because it was just, it was that potent. And I think what I learned from Havani was that it's not just about the people, it's about the land that we are on. It's about respecting the land and the people and the history that represents the land. And that is something that really struck a chord with, with the Nomadness team. And as we, you know, work in this year into rolling out trips, you know, for the future and understanding what that process looks like for us across the board in the meeting we had after that digi, it was like, we've got to pay attention to like whose land we're walking on and how do we honor that 
in our experiences as we are out there as well. And so the one that I would add on top of everyone that you all mentioned is definitely indigenous travelers. Um, yeah, it, it has struck a very personal chord with me after that. Uh, ladies, this conversation has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time, for your energy, for the work that you put in in all of your respective spaces because we all show up in many of them. Um, Martinique Lewis, if people want to find out about the work that you're doing, uh, where can they find you? Yes, you can find me Martinique Lewis on LinkedIn. That's my favorite platform. <laughs> Martinique Lewis on Facebook and then Marty underscore San Diego on Twitter and Instagram. Nice. And Jessica, where can everybody find you? You can find me everywhere at the catch me if you can. I love it. Consistency. And I am Avita Robinson, uh, Condé Nast Traveler, contributing editor, also the host of their new series on Condé Nast Traveler, Made In with Avita. Um, and you can find me at EV Robbie across all platforms and Avita Robinson on LinkedIn. Now that I'm paying way more attention to my LinkedIn. Thank you, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and you can follow at Nomadness Tribe and NomadnessTravelTribe.com for all information, including our data set. And just to know about the amazingness that we're doing here. Uh, everybody, thank you. Have an amazing day, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world. Appreciate you. Thanks, Avita, Jessica, and Martinique for joining us. Be sure to check the show notes for ways to keep up with all three. And you'll also find a link to Nomadness Travel Tribe's BIPOC Diversity in Travel Survey, which features insights on existing and emerging travel trends among Nomadness's community. You can find more of Women Who Travel on our Instagram at Women Who Travel and in our bi-weekly newsletter. Subscribe at cntraveler.com slash newsletter slash subscribe. We'll talk to you next week. 